Welcome to We Have a Problem. This is the XMNR student cast started by the 2021 cohort. With you today, we have Team 2, or better known as Equipo Dos. I am Brian Cole. Grace Ryle. Pierre Davis. Riley Park. And Andrew Brenner. And welcome, all our listeners, to episode one. In previous months, we've been conducting digital world tours, and the recent focus has been on India. After understanding sustainable challenges, we were able to narrow our focus and look at the work that a organization called C-Balance is doing through a program called Fair Conditioning. Their main goal is to alleviate or reduce suffering now and for the future through sustainable thermal comfort. All right, team, here we go. Start that drum roll. Big drum roll, big zoom drum roll. Boom. All right. We have a problem and it's hot. It's a global one. It's also a problem that India is facing. Globally, there are 1 billion people without a thermal comfort solution. This is linked to hundreds of thousands of deaths each year and the economic losses in the hundreds of billions. And specifically to India, the projections are 450 billion in economic loss by 2040. The 6 billion or more people who have some sort of thermal comfort solution rely on the hydrofluorocarbon or the HFC air conditioning units, which are serious contributors to greenhouse gas emissions or GHGs. So the irony, the solution to escape the heat is creating more heat. It's quite the uh, conundrum, isn't it, team? For sure. Yeah. In India, we have currently, well, we don't, but India has 32 million HFC AC units. That was actually not currently, that was in 2015. It has grown since. And in 2035, there's expected to be 225 million. Growing middle class, this could be a problem if the middle class grows into using these unsustainable air conditioning methods. But India is hot. And with any problem like this, there comes a simple solution, right? Nope, no. These problems have cultural, economic, political, social, even religious entrenchment. And we are going to focus on a group of superheroes, actually a few groups of superheroes, by the name of C-Balance is one of them. They've joined the Fair Cooling Fund from Ashton, who's another one, and launched the Fair Conditioning for India. The people in the uh, informal settlements are the other group of superheroes that we're going to talk about. Uh, partnerships leading to collaboration that are absolutely needed for systems change. And in India, it is very common for partnerships, but they're majority the way that they go about them partners with governments, NGOs, businesses, universities. It's a lot of top-down approach. C-Balance has found another way, and they've partnered with the people in the informal settlements. We as Team 2 are here to focus on the partnership with the women in these informal settlements. So who is C-Balance? Yeah, so C-Balance is a climate mitigation organization that specializes in tool building, strategy development, and GHG emission reporting. 
Today we will focus on, as Brian mentioned, just one of C-Balance's many projects, fair conditioning, and specifically the thermal comfort for informal settlements project, which aims to facilitate system change of traditional air conditioning to sustainable cooling. Nice, awesome. And, and who is Ashton? What do they do in all this? Yeah, so Ashton is the foundation that is funding this air conditioning project. Um, they work globally, mostly in the UK and developing countries, um, and they support innovative climate projects like fair conditioning globally. Um, they're unique in a few ways. So firstly, they really foster a spirit of collaboration among their recipients. Um, they encourage networking among the different projects and, and in those networks, they, they encourage sharing any advice, ideas, or trade secrets um, and making sure that they're freely shared so that they can benefit all of the projects. And this takes away the competitiveness that's often associated with funding. And it also means that each of the projects usually end up needing fewer resources because they're learning from the mistakes and successes of the other projects before they do it themselves. Um, another, the other thing that makes them unique is that they don't um, base funding solely on quantitative metrics, rather they heavily consider the quality of the process. Wow. And this stems from an understanding that these, fund, these, these fundamental and front end climate projects typically won't have quantifiable results for years to come. So instead they focus on the quality of their process, knowing that tangible results will come later. All right. And now on to our third group of superheroes. Andrew, can you fill us in on the women in India? Well, Brian, I, I don't think that this needs quite as much introduction and explanation as, as the previous two, because we're talking about women who live in India we in are. informal settlements. Yes. But we're going to talk more about exactly what that means in a minute. So, you know, I got the easy part. You did. And a great bridge into our first topic of discussion because it's very difficult to understand what exactly Ashton and Sea Balance are doing with these communities until we take a look at the life of women specifically within these informal settlements. So we've said informal settlements a few times now, but Andrew, yeah. what is an informal settlement? Yeah, you know, I think um Informal settlements are, are really just kind of a, a nice way of saying slums or you know, shanty towns or, or whatever they might be called in different parts of the world. And there are kind of small pockets outside of, of well, not outside, but included in some of the larger urban areas in India, um, which, you know, have some of just most insanely population dense areas on the planet. Um, numbers are hard to lock down exactly, but estimates range from between 33 and 47% of Indians who live in urban, urban areas are living in these informal settlements or slums, um, which basically translates to tens of millions of Indians, anywhere from estimates of 65 million to 100 million. Uh, I mean, just numbers we, we can't really wrap our head around, um, living in these ultra dense areas with little access to running water, to sanitation, or and you know important to this case cooling um you know these people are living in poorly constructed and poorly ventilated uh, you can really kind of call them huts um often with entire large families 
and for women specifically, these homes are often their workplace, right? You know, um, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, if you're kind of a sheltered person living in an America, in America, it's a level of poverty that, that you can't really wrap your head around. That's right. And a lot of what happens in, in India with the infrastructure and the economy is informal. The slums, I mean, what you said is, is right on. These women are living out their lives in these places. They're mostly relegated to their households. And it sounds like the basic needs are almost a luxury to these people. And so we're going to kind of transition and talk about the, the social setting that they, they live in, that they exist in. Um, there's the caste system that is at large. Um, it's, it's deeply ingrained in the history of India. It's very, there's a political take to it. There's social, there's a religious side of it, but these lower castes tend to be the people who find themselves in the informal settlements. And it's also a patriarchal and masculine society. And so women are not expected to be informal workforces. I believe it's like 92% of women who do work are in the informal economy. And we'll get to that as well. But there's a massive endemic of sexual violence. And I think we can use part of this podcast to just bring light to that. Um, A woman suffers a rape every 20 minutes in India. It tends to be these low caste women. And there's also a group outside of the caste system called the Dalits or the untouchables. Uh, They have a very difficult time gaining skills of value. People don't share with them. Um, And a lot of these children are chronically malnourished. There's also the problem of missing and unwanted women through sex sex selective abortions and postnatal neglect. And economically, it helps families if they have boys. And so a lot of times families will have a bunch of kids and these girls that essentially they don't want are born and they're part of this missing or unwanted population. So Yeah, Brian, and and I just wanted to kind of quickly put some context in terms of the numbers. When you say there's rape 20 minutes, every 20 minutes in India, that's just what's reported. And, you know, the estimates are that up to 70% of rapes aren't reported. And then those that are reported as of 2018, only 27% are convicted. So, I mean, it's a really terrible situation of sexual violence that we're looking at in India. Right. Absolutely. And then to go with the less than ideal living conditions, this very difficult social, hostile social scene for a lot of these women, what's going on with the economy? Well, Brian... The India's informal sector, which employs nearly 90% of its labor force, is among the largest globally. The informal economy is the diversified set of economic activities, enterprises, jobs, and workers that are not regulated or protected by the state. Women make for only 23% of the employed in India's informal sector, but up to 91% of Indian women in paid jobs are in the informal sector. Um, there's also a lot of gender inequalities um, with how wages are structured. Mm-hmm. structured. So men um, in India's garment sector receive a regular monthly wage, whereas women work um, at a piece rate basis. And women end up working about eight to 10 hours while men work 
six to seven hours as well. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, what I hear as well is there's just really no job security. There's long hours. And then these women are also the ones who are upholding the household and the basic needs of their families. And a lot of times they have families of six or more people living inside of a hundred square foot rooms or so. Um, yeah. Wow. Okay. That context is super important because we have two groups of people who want to help bring thermal comfort to their situation. So what is Sea Balance's approach to working with these women and these residents in the informal settlements? Yeah, so Sea Balance has really taken a same level co-creation approach to working with the residents. So instead of them going into these settlements and creating solutions based on um, outside perceived problems, they actually work with the residents on the ground to figure out what their needs are and, and then they collaborate with them to create solutions. You know, as we all well know, all too often um, when there are needs in under, un, underserved communities, um, organizations will often come up with solutions and implement them without ever talking to the people they're serving. Um, and this is how Sea Balance is different. They understand that nobody knows the issues or conditions within the informal settlements better than the people who live there. So a huge part of fair conditioning really is listening. And it's not just about implementing cooling strategies to solve a problem, um, but really working to solve the actual problems that the residents are having. And another part of that is that they make it clear that everything is experimental. Um, and that the residents are completely free to leave the program if they feel that Sea Balance is not meeting their needs. Um, this makes it clear that Sea Balance are not, you know, saviors, and it it also manages expectations. It sounds like Sea Balance arriving to this place where they're co-creating with women is absolutely necessary, but it also it doesn't sound like that might have been their initial approach based on kind of like looking at the informal settlements and seeing from the outside looking in how different things could be done or how help could be provided. So were there any challenges in their approach to arriving at the point where they were co-creating with these people? Um, I, you know, I think they, they came in with some perceived notions of, of issues they would have to tackle, but I think from the get-go, they did want to go in with the idea of collaborating with the residents on, on the same level approach. Um, that actually ended up being part of, part of a challenge because something that the, the residents are not used to a same level approach. Um, you know, culturally hierarchies are far more common. So the co-creation approach took some getting used to. Um, and there are a few other challenges they had um, another thing was language barriers. India, of course, has a huge diversity of languages, so they had to adjust their work in the settlements to make sure that everyone was able to participate, um, you know, despite the differences in languages. And then, of course, the women are by far the most affected by the lack of cooling, um, but they're also the most marginalized. So Seabounds had to really work to make sure that the women's voices were heard. The, the partnership approach and not the beneficiary approach is 
is very provocative and profound. And I think Sea Balance doing that is disruptive. It's it's culturally, maybe not culturally unacceptable, but it's culturally paradigm changing. And definitely. I'm I'm still pretty fascinated in just like the challenges that Sea Balance is addressing in their collaboration with women because to work with women, these people, as we talked about, they have so much going on and now Sea Balance is partnering with them. So I'm just curious what kind of challenges Sea Balance is, is addressing in partnership with these women residents. Yeah, um, so one of the challenges that they've had is creating an environment that encourages the women residents to actively participate in their project activities due to the patriarchally and socially determined roles that they're in of providing a safe and stable home within the context of, you know, instability and environmental, economic and social uncertainty. Um, so that's just something that they've really had to work through and it can kind of hinder the women's ability to express their opinions throughout a project or prevent them from fully understanding, you know, the positive impact that it could have on their lives. And so they're creating an environment that encourages women's active participation in activities amidst competing roles. And, you know, that continues to pose challenges uh, with Sea Balance's work, but they know how it's imperative that women residents are included despite these difficulties to support gender equality. So the inclusion is there, the space is there, and these women have the choice to be involved or not. And I would say that's very empowering to yeah. a group of people who it sounds like tend to be oppressed and be stripped of their confidence in society. So it's such an empowering approach um, by what you just shared, Riley. And I'm also interesting, like what kind of techniques Sea Balance was using or they are using to collaborate with these women? Sure, so with Team Dose's meeting with Benita Rodriguez, who's working on the project, um, she shared how Sea Balance actually invites women residents to their meetings separately from men um, to hear what they have to say in a more candid, comfortable environment um, when they're just surrounded by other women. And these are referred to as listening workshops um, and they just create you know, a safe space for them um, and then the outcome of that has been, you know, more able to intimately understand the interrelated social dynamics of power, gender, class, and caste from women's voices, uh, which has had some great results and it has been a benefit for Sea Balance's work as well. And it's, you know, after installation with fair conditioning of sustainable cooling, it became easier for them to do household chores and plan their days how they wanted because they were now living in more comfortable temperatures and they had a say in how the project was implemented in their communities, which is really awesome. This project that we've gone through has been um, really grounding, I think for all of us. Uh, would you guys say the same? Definitely. Yeah. Oh yeah. And Sea Balance continues to work shoulder to shoulder with these women in informal settlements to bring this bottom up change. Uh, the process has not been easy. And for anyone who tackles these massive problems, it takes courage, strength, and I'd say it's about the journey and not so much the destination.
And this inclusion and this partnering with women is, is truly building a platform for thermal comfort in formal settlements while creating space for cultural reform in, of women's values and women's value in India's culture. Wow, that's a lot. And I know we could spend so much more time on this, but that's all we have today. So thank you for listening. And this is the first episode of We Have a Problem from the XMNR student cast. The torch has been lit, XMNR 2022. We look forward to tuning into your episodes. That's a wrap team.